this episode of the podcast, we meet Stoney Blue, who is a founding partner at Urban US, a venture capital firm located in New York City. Stoney previously founded Pedico Cloud Solutions, an enterprise software company which was acquired after a year of self-funded growth. He's a serial entrepreneur having built five ventures spanning different sectors from technology to real estate and international markets, including Brazil and Canada. Hello, welcome to the show. Super honored to to have you here. Uh, We do this show, you know, two to three times a week with different uh, investors, family offices, entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, just to tee up this conversation, the reason why we're chatting is because, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember, Stanley, but I saw you uh, on LinkedIn. You got a shout out for being like the favorite, the most favorite VC from founders. And I was like, wow, you know what? What is he doing that's special um, uh, to make founders really um, appreciate you? Because I think that's good learning for all of us, right? We always want to be uh, the best value add investors and support founders in the best way, and and um, and you know hopefully get that kind of recognition as well. Um, so that's how we connected, and then I think as as normal, right? Like falling into the LinkedIn uh, universe, you know, sometimes you kind of lose touch, but, you know, you reached out to me. I'm glad that we were able to reconnect and, um, you know, really excited about, you know, some of the things that you guys are working on and, um, you know, just your unique investment thesis. So, you know, welcome to the show. Thanks for, thanks for popping in. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, appreciate, uh, the original reach out and the, the offer to join this conversation. Yeah. So why don't we kick this off? Why don't we, you know, get started and maybe learn a little bit, a little bit about you and your background and, and how you broke into, uh, to venture capital, you know, where'd you grow up? What did you study when you were, you know, early in your career and, and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. Um, sure. I mean, I can start with where I grew up. Um, I, I was, uh, I was actually born in, in, uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, but I, I moved, uh, I moved to the States, uh, when I was four or five years old, grew up in uh, Jersey for a period, um, East, um, like Newark suburbs, mm-hmm. um, and then um, high school on in South Florida. Um, was always a, a sort of technology tinkerer, um, partially out of necessity. couldn't Couldn't afford to buy the newest, so had to buy the the broken things and fix them. Um, sure uh and uh or rather borrow the broken things and fix them um uh, and uh yeah i think that um ultimately led to uh uh just inherently being a a tinkerer hacker type uh typecast um uh, go even going as far as actually getting arrested for computer hacking in high school (laughs) um so how do that how do they catch you you know did the feds just come to your house and uh uh it, I didn't even make it out of the school grounds. Yeah. Um, okay. In my house, um, and it was I was very arrogant and cocky then. I was pretty out in the open. Um, <laughs> the level of access that I had that I shouldn't have. It was really just a matter of time before someone just looked over my shoulder, which is what happened eventually. Yeah. Um, and what did you, you know, just because this is entertaining to me, like, what did you hack into? Was it like, uh, you know, whatever you're allowed to say? You know, I know, you know, sometimes uh, these. Yeah. Records- I mean, I. I think if I remember correctly, at at the time that I was caught, I was just looking at the um, the school systems employee database. I was just curious. Okay. Uh, nothing really. Yeah, I I mean, really, just 
it was it, it was more of an a, an offensive insult to the sys admins that is is how i ended up uh yeah so what do they do they can they track your ip address um no literally someone uh, looking over my shoulder is like what is this kid doing um <laughs> in all of this this stuff that clearly doesn't look like anything to do with this class yeah uh and just you know gave a heads up to the teacher and uh, unbeknownst to me, you know, she gave a heads up to the, to the local sysadmin who was like, yep, this is definitely this terminal is where it shouldn't be. And, um, you know, I was just tapped on the shoulder to, uh, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to rewalk the whole journey. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you what I ate for, uh, for, for lunch in a jail cell. We, we don't need to go that far. Yeah. Um, the point is that it, it sort of really shattered a lot of things that I had planned around, um, you know, uh, post high school. And mm -hmm. I, I sort of had to hit a reset button actually at a community college, um, after high school and, uh, studied, um, was on the path to studying computer science. But, yeah. um, again, I think I, I was disillusioned and sort of threw away my senior year because of that. Sure. Incident. Um, and so no scholarships meant that I had to work and, um, having, uh, clearly, a, a, a lack of alignment with authority meant that I had to work for myself. Um, yeah. So, so that was, you know, the, the seed of my very first company was necessity. I had to pay for college and re get my life on a solid footing um, in spite of the things that had happened in the um, previous year. Uh, and yeah, I mean that, you know, one thing led to another one company has led to another company, um, some successes, some failures. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, I think around 27, 28 years old, I was uh, just wrapping up um, a company that I sold. Um, uh, and I was wrapping up my, um, my sort of golden handcuffs period with the acquiring company and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, um, or really what I wanted to build next. And I, I, I sort of, throughout my 20s, um, learned a lot of hard entrepreneur lessons. Um, um, and one of the main lessons was like how empty um, the bottom feels, how much hard the bottom feels when you fall, when you don't like or believe in what you're working on or, or mm -hmm. have a passion for what you're working on and how empty yeah. even the peaks feel when you don't have a passion for what you're working on. I was really just spending mm -hmm. my 20s just trying to survive, just trying to not be a failure uh, in life. Yeah. Um, and so after I sold my company and felt like, well, now I've got some change in my pocket. I'm not in survival mode anymore. What can I build that is more mission driven? I had a, a passion and interest in climate change. Um, I moved uh, from Fort Lauderdale to a slightly bigger city, Miami, and mm -hmm. started recognizing that there were a lot of opportunities for um, uh, upgrades in, in cities. Um, and, and I also realized that, you know, I had a weird, like even as a still young person, I had this weird body of experience and knowledge for other entrepreneurs. And I, I only, I only instinctively, um, uh, uh, felt a need to, um, uh, help other founders. Mm -hmm. Um, and luckily around that same time that I was gestating, I was actually working on building a robotics platform for monitoring road infrastructure, um, uh, to solve my own problem of like traffic congestion, um, yeah. on my way down to the office, mm -hmm. um, uh, to a co-working space actually that I was working out of. And I, I just serendipitously met, um, amazing angel investor who had moved down from Miami, 
Um, he was thinking about exactly the same three things, climate change mm -hmm. cities and helping founders. And he helped um, Sean Abramson um, uh, helped me galvanize the merge of those three things. Um, and uh, uh, we decided to partner on experimenting um, uh, uh, to, to see how many founders and investors were out there thinking about those three things as well. Yeah. Um, and we put some money together and invested in a few of the founders that we met um, in, in, in the series of events we put together together. And, and that, again, one thing has led to another and that turned into Urban Us, which is now um, three venture funds in, a credit fund, uh, an accelerator with BMW, um, a, uh, um, and uh, a spin out um, uh, go to market um, Asia platform in Hong Kong. So like seven, seven years later, we've, <laughs> you know, you, you put two entrepreneurs together that were, that are mission driven. And, um, and Sean just had a lot of great experience as a, uh, as an engineer, as an entrepreneur and mm -hmm. as a successful investor himself. Yeah. Um, we've really been able to, I think, do a lot in the seven years. I got a couple of questions for you. So, um, you know, you're, you're doing much better than you were when you were starting out. Um, I'm asking you this because I feel this sometimes. Like, do you ever feel weird being more comfortable? Like, I remember when I first moved to Jersey, I was like living in my aunt's attic. And I lived there just because I <laughs> like the rent was so cheap and I like paid off my whole car. And, you know, now, you know, we, we live in Manhattan and I just sometimes I just feel a little uneasy. I'm like, I just feel a little weird, like, you know, I'm waiting for something to happen. So I don't know if that's, if anybody else feels that way, like, you know, cause just later in life, right. You, you get more educated, you make, you know, more money to pay the bills. Maybe you're able to afford like maybe a nicer car or, you know, maybe living into a safe, living in a more safe area. Um, so do you ever feel that way? And if not, you know, maybe it's just me, but I'm curious. Yeah, if no, it's not just you or like, Soul Brothers or something. I, <laughs> I I too lived in like an aunt's attic to sort of like survive yeah. in Jersey. So I, I you know I was I was gonna you know I was gonna get married and I wanted to save up you know so I was like you know I could be yeah. living in the city or like literally split that up like by a third and that'll pay for like living in the attic and I'm I'm, I'm straight up like I paid off my car like in six months. That's awesome. So I had like no debt, you know, because I didn't want to kind of deal with that later. So but I just kind of feel weird now because we moved into you know, we, we live in like a bigger place now. And it's just kind of like, uh, you know, I just feel a little off. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I too, you know, again, I too have been at the bottom multiple times. And again, I, I too have had moments where, you know, I quote unquote felt like I've made it mm -hmm. semi retired in my mid 20s and spent half a year in Brazil and was like, is this it? You know, yeah. like, I, 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 you know, but I think that, um, uh, the aha moment that I had when I, my last period of like, is this it was, um, really that shift to, well, let me think about what I can build mm -hmm. and work on. That is more than me. That's beyond me and beyond. Yes. You want to, you want it, um, you want it to be sustainable and you want it to grow if yeah. it's a good thing, you want it to be big, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it it can have a reason for being big and for growing that's more than just you becoming more and more wealthy. So so like, as opposed to just telling you like, increase your ambition, because there's always more that you can do and, and yeah. be. And so you, there's, there really is no reason to rest on your laurels. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't advocate for that from a material, a solely material perspective, because yeah. it will still be empty at the next peak. 
Right. I agree. So there is, there is times where like, look, I, you know, I'm in venture now, but I worked in products and, um, you know, as you know, right in the tech space, these big tech companies, especially fintech, you know, they pay a lot. And to be honest, I was actually like the most unhappy. Um, and like literally half of the money that I made, I just put it into angel investments. And that's what actually made me happy. But, you know, just you, you I really resonate with your point about just not doing what you think maybe you're, I posted something maybe a few weeks ago, or maybe last week on, do you know what your calling is versus kind of like what your career is? And, um, you know, that was from, you know, I'm not going to take credit for that. It was actually Steve Harvey. I saw like this weird video snippet with Steve Harvey and he was like, Hey, you know, do you know the difference between your calling versus your career? And I mean, for me, it's like, look, I was, I had a career in tech. You probably felt the same way probably got paid well because a lot of these companies will pay top dollar for just trying to fill in a body, but you just feel emptiness because you're not really doing maybe what you think your calling is. And, um, and I think it's two pieces too. It's like, maybe for me, it's like the calling is, am I good at it? And then number two, do I really enjoy doing it? And I, that's kind of been the framework for me, but how have you figured it out? What's your framework to really really, eliminate, you know, kind of the job versus what you want to do? Yeah, I mean, I think that those the two things you mentioned are important ingredients. Um, and but really, they're uh, they're um, well, I actually take that back. They're they're false ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, are you good at it? Um, is it is a that's amorphic, right? You can always get good at anything. Yeah. Right? You're, you're fully and it's and it's subjective too. You know what you think is good may not be good to somebody right. else. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I believe in the like 10,000 hours or whatever, like anyone can become an expert. Like, obviously there are some genetic dispositions if you're talking about the physical realm or like really like advanced sort of cognitive abilities. But like yeah. for the most part, anyone can become a world-class good at anything given enough time. So that that's one checkbox. Mm-hmm. The other checkbox is like, do you enjoy it? Again, enjoy, enjoying things is really a state of mind um and and both of those things right come back to a a a third but really preceding ingredient which is why are you doing it Mm -hmm. um i always think about uh i forget i forget his name but it was this actor who was like basically a loser in life until he had a kid and then he suddenly like got his shit together and sorry i'm (laughs) my french um he got his stuff together and I like he was like a firefighter in this like popular firefighter show or whatever. And it was just random. I don't watch the show. Mm. I don't really care about yeah. the guy past that anecdote. But it was just like it could even be as simple as just like one little being that you're doing it for. And I'm not yeah. advocating that everybody should have a kid and that should be their motivation. It could be, um, you know, really deeply caring about something like climate change, understanding the gravity of the situation yeah. and wanting to play even a small role. Right. And, and I think some people... Uh, when thinking about climate change, um, sometimes go into despair because it's so big and so challenging and so dynamic. But another anecdote um, uh, or parable really about, uh, I forget the exact phrasing of it, but the the person at the beach carrying a a baby turtle into the ocean and being asked like, there are all these turtles that you'll never get to. Why are you bothering with this one turtle? And, And the person's like, well, for this one turtle, I mattered, right? My Mm -hmm. health mattered. And I think yeah. that, that that understanding that even if you're doing only one small part of a very big complex thing, um, you know, again, your your why can be 
a big driver for, you know, getting up and wanting to be better at the thing and wanting to enjoy, you know, even the hard parts, right? Like, I think that goes back to what I said, like when things were tough and really bad, I didn't even know why I was doing it. Why, why am I going through this? Yeah. And when things were great, it was like, this is empty. Why did I work so hard for this? Just to, you know, fuck around in Brazil for, a, you know, a year. Like, it, well, I was, I was joking with my wife, um, like I think last week, cause uh, you know, sometimes if I visit, it's been a while, right. Cause my, my brother's got a little one now and he's married, so he's changed, but and I hope he watches this episode, but you know, when him and I were young, we used to, you know, go to the club and like, you know, get a bottle and we would be the only two people there. Like everyone else was like at the dance floor. So even then we felt like we were so elite and cool, but we were like lonely. Right. So I feel like the top as, as glamorous as it looks on like the shows, like ballers and all these other shows, you're still, you're still, it's still lonely at the top. Right. And you can still yeah. feel emptiness. Yeah. I mean, certainly. Yeah. That the, like, the world, the history of the world is full of people who for no other reason than personal motivation of like, of, of greed for lack of a better word, yeah. um, have, have gotten to great wealth and, and have felt, you know, various ways, whatever. Yeah. But I do think that people who get further, um, tend to be motivated by more than themselves, some bigger, grander mission. And frankly, it can, it can be something as, as vain still as like a Trumpism. Like I just want to mm -hmm. be the most powerful and the most popular Right. Yeah. That still is, I want to be this thing for other people, right? Yeah. There's a sense of self-aggrandizing mm -hmm. there, but it's also a sense of a mission and purpose that, you know, can drive someone to be, you know, <laughs> the president yeah. when, you know, probably when otherwise uh, shouldn't have been. But I mean, the point is like, um, I think ultimately um, going back to your like, why, why are we listed as like one of the most loved VCs? Because a big part of our engagement with our with the founders that we work with is um, reminding them a that we're that that they are doing this for a reason, and when things are hard, like this is why you're working on this, and this is why your work matters. But also be reminding them that we're working with you for the same reason. So yeah, we're yeah. you know we're we're on the same team, not just in the sense of like please bring us to your IPO party, um, but more like let's really put a dent in this problem space and really try to make a difference together as futile as it might be. We're in the battle together. And I think that, um, I think that that resonates with founders. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to Antonio's comment, uh, <laughs> definitely enjoy the ride also. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I believe in the value of capital for lubricating and, and accelerating um, things when, when used properly, when the system is set up properly and it's still a work towards perfection. But, um, you know, part of that is being able to enjoy the, uh, uh, to enjoy the excess as well. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but like at the end of the day, um, really the ride is just so much better when you know, it's not just for the bottles and the steak, when you yeah. know that that's just the cream, um, on top. I agree. And it, and it, I feel like the people that you're doing it with matters as well. Right. So, uh, I mean, if you're doing it with your, your close friends that you've had multiple years of a friendship with, and then even just your family, if you can celebrate it with the people that you care about, that's great. But, you know, I think really looking back and appreciating kind of like the, you know, where you started, I think that really helps too. So, and, and one thing I noticed too, with a lot of these high performing people, um, they consistently repeat 
the proficiency in those skills, right? So if you look at Tony Robbins, right? I mean, he's still doing these sessions and he, you know, I feel that it's just a craft that he just consistently does. I think somebody also mentioned like, you know, Jay Leno, right? Like how did Jay Leno stay on the tonight show for so many years? It's kind of like, it really still is like repetition, um, and you don't get stale. So I don't know if you, you know, what your thoughts on that are as far as kind of just, you know, sometimes it's boring and, and, uh, you know, repetitive, but, um, but what are your thoughts on that as far as just kind of continuing the craft and, and, uh, maintaining consistency, um, so you don't get stale. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, two things, um, uh, not to be a dead horse, but I do think that like, those are two folks who I think are mission driven, like, mm-hmm. by, yep. even, I mean, Again, there are different versions of mission driven. Even the love for the craft itself might be your purpose. Yeah. Right? A love for the craft and just wanting to honor the craft that you're doing by getting better at it. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason the reason why I harp on this is that something like there are days when something has to pull me out of bed. I'm not the one getting up out of bed. Yeah. Like I'm not the one, you know, putting on my running shoes and like going to the gym and putting on my boxing gloves. Like I'm not the one doing it. Something is pulling me. Um, and, and I'm not the one, you know, uh, lining up the calls and working through the spreadsheets. Like something is pulling me outside mm-hmm. myself. The motivation just sometimes just isn't there. The work is hard. I'm tired, whatever, but there's something outside of me that is pulling me and like Stonely, I get it. You don't feel great right now, but snap out of it. We've got work to do. There's something more than you hear pulling you to do the work. So that's one. And then two is like part of that. Something is also to your point earlier about who you work with, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to be inspired and supported by the people who you are, you know, who you're around. One of the key decisions I made in in life was to um, prioritize just below mission, why I'm working on something, who I'm working on it with. And and, and that trickles even to who you spend time with. I do believe mm-hmm. that you're, you're um, a, a derivative of, of people you spend the most time with. And um, if you're working, then you, the people you spend the most time with are your colleagues. And hopefully you are um, uh, inspired and um, motivated by them. And, uh, you know, and, and you are also um, looking forward to celebrating with them when things go great. Yeah, no, those are all really helpful points. And, you know, there's another, you know, I think it was Cal Newport that, that mentioned uh, that, that whole discussion on just not following your passion. And I think that was contrarian to like Steve Jobs's commencement speech, which was like, hey, follow your passion. So I think what you're saying is kind of aligned to Cal's Newport, Cal Newport's um, discussion, too, because I, I feel like sometimes you may not even know what your passion is. Like, I feel like when you were in high school, you know, hacking away, you probably didn't think about mobility and, you know, sustainability, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, probably far from that, but, um, but, I you know, I think like, uh, like cars and electric cars and like yeah. different ways to levitate. I was somehow thinking about it mm-hmm. from a playful product design perspective, which I had yeah. no feeling, but. So it's probably like subconscious. And then, and then I feel like when you kind of just break into something or you get exposed to it, you realize that you, um, that you really care about it. And then that passion comes. I feel like because Steve Jobs, right. He was like a hippie. He was, he was taking calligraphy classes and never thought, you know, that he would be building the iPhone. Then I think he just kind of, you know, felt a social uh, mission to, to, to do it and, you know, be the best product company in the world. And I felt like that's what drove him to, uh, to just really care so much about it. And um, yeah, 
I'll just um, add like one of the things I believe um, is that there's a difference between passion and mission. Okay. I think really hard to find your passion as it's always stated. And yeah, yeah it's not always practical to like follow your passion. Um, yeah. But at the same token, I, I think that mission, um, you, like working towards your towards a mission is the easiest thing in the world because it doesn't really matter what the mission is. Mm -hmm. And um, and going back to the parable about the the person and the and the baby turtles, look for a turtle, look for any baby turtle near you, and just start there because you know what, mm -hmm. taking that turtle to the ocean then might introduce you to a whole other thing that's waiting for you at the edge of the ocean. Maybe it's a boat. That boat takes you to a whole other continent with a whole other thing waiting for you. And mm -hmm. I think if you look at mission as stepping stones, even of like, get, you know, I love the craft to, I want to help a billion people mm -hmm. to, I want to, you know, survive. I want to um, help humanity survive the next billion yeah. years. Like mission can be a stepping stone thing. Whereas passion sure. is like functional. What do you enjoy doing? Yeah. A given day, maybe 10% of the day you'll be in, when you're at your peak, success mm -hmm. and performance, maybe 10% of your day, you'll be able to do your passion. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully 99% of your day, you're working on your mission. And trust me, you'll feel just mm -hmm. as good. Look, I'll open up because this is like almost like a therapy session, right? So, I mean, for me, <laughs> uh, my passion is music, right? I want to eventually learn how to do EDM music. I even took like Kygo's uh, monthly, there's a, there's a startup called monthly, right? So you can join monthly and then you learn like a creative skill for a month. So Kygo taught it. And, um, I, you know, it's embarrassing, but I attended like two classes. So I've got like 28 classes left and, uh, I'm passionate about it. I want to do it, but you know, I have kind of a mission to kind of like the platform that I'm building. And it's just, that always comes first. So I feel like with mission too, like with Tony Robbins, right. His mission is to feed a billion people. You know, he feels socially responsible and he's like on the hook. And I feel like he also has a roadmap to, to try to achieve that. Right. Versus kind of a passion. It's like, Hey, I love playing the saxophone. Um, I'm passionate about, it. I love the sound of it, but you know, maybe there's no hard KPI. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think it's yeah. maybe another framework is kind of like having some real metrics or KPIs to get towards it? <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's actually more like just sneaking it in. Yeah. I, what you just said about EDM randomly mm -hmm. reminds me of, uh, uh, my wife would, was watching uh, for a little while this uh, this uh, uh, one of these shows, competition shows where it was literally like leftovers. Like, what can you make with leftovers? <laughs> I was like the most random thing. Um, and the only reason this comes up is because the host, who I'm assuming is like was part of the creation of the of the of the show, she had the most speaking space on the platform. She seemed yeah. like she would tell jokes through the thing she would always close with some song that she wrote and play that play a piano play a guitar and i'm like this woman is passionate about comedy and music but to hell she's got a mission to help people figure out like leftover foods and whatever it is that this you know or to have a show a successful you know yeah. competition show but she's sneaking in her passion and you know she sounded decent i wouldn't be surprised if somebody discovers her for her passion while yeah. she's executing on her mission. I, and there, and to relate it back to what you're saying, there's no reason why you shouldn't open these conversations with some EDM you've slapped together, yeah. right? Like we, these things are, you know, tend to be, there's intro music and outro music. Mm -hmm. Why isn't it Joel's intro music? If that's your passion, let 10% of your, 
of, of why you're, of how you're doing this be you're tinkering at EDM to open the show with. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's also, you know, just making time for it and prioritizing it. Um, And, you know, what, along with time management, right. One thing that we talked about in our last discussion was just all the different platforms and communities that we're building. Right. So you've got, you you know, you've got two or three things that you're building. I kind of opened up to you and told you about kind of the community that we're doing, you know, a challenge I'm always facing is really just, um, you know, balance and, and managing all of that. So how do you balance? Um, Cause you're, I think you're kind of like me, you, you know, there's always something new that should also be built. Right. So, I mean, the stuff that you're doing with BMW, the um, you know, the accelerator, you know, maybe, maybe you can uh, unpack those verticals uh, for the audience and community. And then maybe, maybe give us some advice on how you can get some balance and, and um, make sure there's enough time allocated to all of them and, and maybe also say no to like do something like a fifth thing or fourth thing. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean that you beat me to the punch, which is you do have to have a discipline around saying no. Um, yeah. It is Steve Jobsism to uh, uh, that the, the value of what you build is, is partially in how many things you said no to building. Um, and we have had a lot of opportunities over the years of other additional things we could have built, but I think what we focused on is our, again, one of our true Norths being serving founders um, and what, particularly having a unique uh, and truly meaty value prop for founders. And that's where we've sort of derived, you know, founders don't have as much access to um, creative finance and credit-based finance as early as they probably should. And that's what led to our credit platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, we were meeting founders, um, you know, later seed extension and realized like they didn't get the best foundation set up for them and the best advice set up for them, like for where they were, you know, we realized that if we get involved earlier, um, we could probably coach some better habits and some better um, sort of prep uh, for where they're going. And so we've, we've sort of built out the things as we've acknowledged and recognized the gaps and the opportunities in the ecosystem. So that's broadly how we've figured out product direction mm-hmm. um, and, or platform direction. Um, and really, we don't say yes to something unless we're also able to identify the capacity, which means how do we you know, um, uh, fund a, an extension of our team to build this new piece? Like it's not me running an accelerator, running a credit fund. Like my core thing that I focus on um, aside from the broader sort of vision and direction of, of mm-hmm. um, the platform is the venture side and working with our yeah. early companies. So like my actual time is mostly spent on that core thing. And, I, and the, our other team members, again, also think about the broader platform, but have their focal, focal points. Um, so there is a delegation or a separation of duties that's key to being able to do multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm a big believer in um, building your calendar and, and, trying to like with some flexibility stick to it right having parameters around when you're you know doing working on a core set of things in this area versus another area when you're open to sort of having conversations with people when you're sitting down like intentionally going through email that sort of thing yeah i know that's helpful i think you know i don't know if you read radical habits but they they had some frameworks that were helpful to me. So where you can kind of time box like collaboration time, there's like a box where you're, uh, you know, spending time kind of like the conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago. It's like, Hey, that's collaboration time versus, 
you know, concentration time, probably you're, you know, you're sitting down and writing an investment thesis, or maybe just reading a thesis. Um, for me, I can't really do that with like music in the background. So maybe you can tell us a little bit just for, you know, just for our knowledge, um, you know, how you kind of break that up and what helps do you, do you do collaboration on Fridays? You know, do you, do you do concentration time on Wednesdays? Is there kind of a rhyme or reason that's worked for you? And, um, and, uh, and what, what do you think kind of needs to improve? Yeah, fair question. Um, I think I break it up in two parts. One is um, um, day of the week, as you stated, like mm -hmm. Monday are in a lot of internal meetings. Um, Tuesdays are a lot of external meetings. Um, Wednesdays are fairly flexible. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and Thursdays are again, external facing and Fridays are flexible, but more my own internal catch up and creative time. Like I yeah. do still covet Fridays, um, mm -hmm. to try to go inward a little bit. Um, and then, and Sundays are also, um, are more explicitly creative, creative time. Um, yeah. research. um, and then in a given, like in a given day, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> mornings are still more inward and evenings are more inward. And then the core, you know, sort of middle, middle of the day, like, you know, the, the meat of the day is, is mm -hmm. where I'm more in, in the outside world, obviously working with international um, teams and L LPs and partners means I have to have some flexibility around that. Um, but, but I do box in how I think about my week for sure. Not yeah. my marker is going to work for everyone. Yours isn't going to work for everyone, but yeah. it does to have a framework. Like you could literally completely get lost in the random vicissitudes of people's demand for your time and get to uh, the end of a year and not know where any of your time went because you don't yeah. know about it. I was nerding a lot. Uh, I was nerding out a little bit when you send me like a HubSpot request because I use Calendly, but I was like, wow, this is cool. He's got kind of the CRM. So that's, you know, I think having the right systems in place is helpful. I use Calendly, but I think at some point, right, like integrating into some type of, um, better system is, is a good way to kind of organize your contacts as well. And I think you can also set up like different uh, time boxes for a certain person. I know Calendly is pretty good with that. So you can kind of like send somebody uh, like for me, sometimes I do office hours and, you know, I try to kind of have it in a time that I know is good and, you know, within a limited time. So that, that helps me kind of not um, go crazy, but I guess any, any tech, stacks or platforms you know you got hubspot yeah. um that, that have been helpful do you use trello you know any any other tips or tools um yeah we use we use notion so mm -hmm. hubspot for for um scheduling and yeah. crm i'm sure calendly has plugins to crms and mm -hmm. you know you can have your favorite crm and calendly which is great too um but hubspot we we just choose to use both um, their scheduling and their CRM. We use uh, Notion for um, uh, sort of internal notes and planning. Um, we use uh, Google Drive and sort of Google Docs for broader um, or more specific yeah. collaboration. Um, and we use Slack for, you know, sort of real-time mm -hmm. day-to-day communication. Um, but yeah, absolutely having tools, embrace tools, don't go overboard, don't, you know, don't be fixed either. Like it's okay to refresh what tools you're using and to move on after a year or so, because there's new technologies being introduced all the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, but I do think that, uh, you know, having systems and tools in place is also key. 
Yeah, no, and I agree. And look, I mean, that's how the tech sector is, right? There's a migration, there's a sunsetting period. I I moved everybody over from like a Google spreadsheet to Trello, you know, and I'll probably move over to Notion at some point, right? And you, there's a time where you want to give them a sunsetting period, but you got to just cut the cord at some point and say, hey, guys, we're we're moving to this new system. So yeah, super helpful. What I'd love to do also is um, learn a little more about um, you know, the initiatives that you're doing with BMW and also Hong Kong. And, you know, I'd love to, I'm actually, you know, we have students in, in, uh, in our cohort in Hong Kong as well. So I'm, I'm just very, very curious about just that, that sector and, you know, the excitement there. I haven't had a chance to visit Asia yet. So, you know, for me, it's just something that I just really, really want to do at some point, but maybe you can just educate us on the ecosystem there and, and, you know, how that partnership started and, um, you know, some of the, some of the things that you're excited about there. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I don't even know where to start, but I, I would definitely pause and say, buy, pick anywhere uh, in, in the far East, throw a dart at a board, buy a ticket and just go yeah. and, and whatever, wherever is convenient for you to pop. I'd say if you're going to make that trip plan two or three stops. Um, so there's a guy, uh, his name is Oscar. He's at the China Accelerator at SOSV. And he came on my show uh, with the Asian cohort. And um, he just moved to Hong Kong from Spain with yeah. no job, nothing. And he's like, look, I'm in Hong Kong. I'll, you know, figure it out. Well, that's, and, and he just kind of, and it just kind of came together because it's just yeah. the ecosystem is so booming. Well, so that the ecosystem is booming there's a welcoming spirit to the adventurous American willing to buy a ticket and just land there and be like, I want to meet people. Yeah. And, you know, you need one intro in and that will lead to um, the next intro and the next, like it's very receptive environment, yeah. especially, you know, at a time when, when the, we need more collaboration between the, the, the um, Asia, Southeast Asia and, and the States, right. We're behind on mm -hmm. the, what we could be doing together. Um, uh, and, and meaning that there's still a lot of greenfield opportunity. Yeah. Um, to, 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 the, to the bold, um, go the spoils, I think, still. Um, and so, so that's one. Now, the reason why we're, uh, why we have a, uh, an affiliate based in Hong Kong is because we have a fundamental belief that to solve climate change, we have to address the fact that, um, that there are so many people moving from rural to urban um, throughout Asia so many cities being built and so much already existing infrastructure that needs to be upgraded for a more climate friendly future. We just won't solve climate change without addressing the challenges and helping um, Asia more broadly um, uh, adopt, you know, identify and adopt uh, climate positive technologies. Mm -hmm. So huge opportunity. Our strategy there is really importing, um, particularly um, uh, uh, building technologies, um, but other things as well. For uh, for upgrading uh, for for um, energy efficiency, um, uh, uh, clean air, and things like that, better operations, things like that. So so we're really exporting from the U.S. and importing into uh, into Asia. Hong Kong is just a great landing pad and launching point from uh, for for that from there. That's great. And what are some of the biggest differences that you've seen with the ecosystem in Hong Kong versus um, versus North America? Um, I. I actually don't personally like again. That's it. That's a team that that we have that's doing yeah. great here. I don't. I've never spent more than a few hours in Hong Kong myself, so I'm nowhere yeah. near an authority. Um, I would say a better reference point um, that I have. Um, 
yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to say the mm-hmm. difference per se, but like, I'd say maybe um, in Japan, it feels like there's more explicit, at least historically, there's a more explicit harboring of the local venture and startup ecosystem from government down. Yeah. Uh, uh, that that's one of the main things I think that's starting to arise here in the mm-hmm. state. Um, uh, but in like Japan and, and South Korea, uh, it was just very, very clear that there was a very big push to build a venture ecosystem and a startup ecosystem, like directly running from government down. You, I, you probably could argue in China as well. Uh, well, you can absolutely argue. <laughs> yeah. And in Singapore, so we had somebody come in from the, it's called ETH Om Accelerator. They're a deep tech accelerator in Singapore. And um, Pankaj, the guy that runs that, he was just saying, you know, just the huge support that Singapore offers from the government standpoint. If you, um, if you're launching a separate entity in another country, but it's, you know, derivative of the Singapore company, they'll just give you like a hundred grand right there. So they, they have a big support system for, um, building businesses and infrastructure in Singapore. And, you know, as you know, right, Singapore is like one of the first countries to have uh, like lab grown chicken, right? So kind of the, from a sustainability standpoint, you know, on the food tech side, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of innovation. One of the top companies, Shiok Meats, they're, they're based out of Singapore. So um, there's a lot of um, opportunity there. And, you know, with that in mind, you know, could you unpack a little more about uh, what gets you excited about your investment thesis and, you know, maybe just kind of some of the top level trends that you're seeing with uh, mobility, sustainability, um, urban, urban systems, and um, maybe unpack that a little bit so we can, uh, you know, be aware of those trends too. Yeah. I mean, you touched on one big thing. I think one of the biggest areas that we can um, uh, benefit from um, decarbonizing for lack of a better phrase is our systems. Um, And that goes from, you know, using less land and and reappropriating it to forest land uh, when thinking about veggies um, and moving to more um, vertical farming and taking the emissions out of the transportation of food by growing closer um, to where where it's consumed. Again, Mm -hmm. vertical farming is is something we've invested big in. uh, so that, that's one. And obviously very excited about the alt meats and the, uh, yeah. sort of, uh, uh, the, the future of, of food space. Um, not an area we've invested in a ton beyond, uh, vertical farming, but yeah. uh, I'm excited for it. Um, uh, so far I've enjoyed the chicken nugget options at least. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think that from a, um, a mobility perspective, um, you know, we are obviously very excited about the electrification of um, the transportation sector. Mm-hmm. A lot of momentum there. Um, um, we are, we're also excited about green hydrogen um, to cover the parts of the logistics um, ecosystem that electrification is not the best option. Yeah. You can't wait for battery tech to, to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what else can I say? I mean, um, what else? I, I think the other, um, the other, uh, um, I, I wouldn't call it excited, but, uh, but I, I think that the other thing that we are um, very active in and see a lot of opportunity because it's just a harder nut to crack is the fact that we have, we, we do have built baked in warming, right? Like mm-hmm. we're going to see more, you know, storms, weirder weather, wackier weather. Um, and more of our infrastructure and assets will be affected by that in our personal lives, frankly, right? Fires, wakes, yeah. storms, um, and out power outages as a result of those things. 
And so like building more resilience, um, building, building more uh, uh, infrastructure, soft and hard infrastructure to help us adapt, I think is another big greenfield opportunity that we're, um, I, again, hard to say excited because it's sure. sort of like preparing for the worst, but adaption, yeah. adaptation also leads to, like we wouldn't be humans if we hadn't adapted from whatever, yeah. you know, like the, the world is where we are who we are because of adaptation. So it's an exciting, like, what can we be next? What what can we build mm-hmm. and how can we build for the new reality that we're, frankly, that we're in? It, it's like, yeah. there's the one challenge of lowering emissions, stopping the harm that we're doing to the environment that that needs to happen and then there's the other reality of like harm we've already done you know the 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 um cause and effect is not you know real time right like we're yeah. seeing the effect now of the cause from 20 years ago mm-hmm. and so like and it and it'll be uh, potentially 100 years while we're feeling and maybe permanent change so um what's this new world what's this uh, better that we can build back to because we can't just build back to what we were um, we just have new realities to face. And that, that could be huge opportunities to redefine how we live, work, um, and interact with each other. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And, you know, I think, you know, what you're saying, it's not the sexy stuff sometimes that has the opportunity. It's like the picks and shovels and uh, the infrastructure and framework. Um, alternative energy sources, you know, we're also excited about the, you know, the $12 trillion hydrogen energy market. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity. And then I think it's really kind of like working with the governments versus like working against the governments to, to make that happen. Um, where do you think, and then is that also in alignment with clean tech as well? Is that kind of a synonym or um, do you think clean tech is uh, kind of a different uh, animal? Cause we, you know, we talked to a couple funds that focus specifically on clean tech. There's the Lacey accelerator, um, you know, there's some applications with upcycling, but do you guys also kind of look at um, just clean, clean opportunities? Is that kind of the same thing or is that? Um, yeah, I, a- I think, um, you know, clean tech more squarely focuses on, um, you know, new sources of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our adjacencies to that, like storage, energy storage, battery mm-hmm. storage. Um, and, and then, uh, it, it expands out, you know, maybe even to, um, the food systems and such. Yeah. Um, the reality is like, all of these things are just words for mm-hmm. starting things. Yeah. And once, you, once you've covered some territory at the starting point, you have to look at the adjacent systems and the components of the system. And you can't think about, um, clean, cleaning up uh, the ecosystem, the environment and the economy without ultimately looking at beyond just the sources of energy, mm-hmm. how energy is consumed um, and, and beyond um, how energy is consumed, how waste is reconsumed by the environment. And a lot of that energy consumption and that waste production happens in cities. So now yeah. you're looking at everything that happens in the city. And so now you're looking at, you know, all sorts of things and, you know, we sort of did the thought exercise, like from a first principles perspective, we're like, everyone's going to end up here anyway. So let's just start from the city out. Yeah. Um, and, and so having started from there, we're more, re- we're, we're less likely to invest in a new source of energy um, or even a battery technology. We'll do some of those, but it's not yeah. our company because we're working outward from the consumption and waste mm-hmm. outside of the equation. Sure. You, you just can't be honest with yourself from a clean tech perspective and yeah. think that you're just going to wait for some holy grail 
nuclear fusion type of, you know, solution to then give everybody a pass to keep living the way they yeah. were. It's just too much of a hard fork. So I feel like if that solution comes, it'll probably be uh, a phased approach that kind of uh, retrofits into uh, what you're building, right? If you look at the International Space Station, right, there are some initiatives right now in the space industry where they're literally just starting by like latching on parts on top of it. Right. Uh, you know, they're not just completely building a new one from scratch. I think that infrastructure is just, I think some people underestimate how big of a lift it is to build something completely um, from scratch versus kind of like start with what you have and then um, add layers on top of that. So definitely, definitely good insights and good advice. Uh, we got 10 more minutes. You know, if anybody has any questions, shout out. I think for the sake of some of the community and the group, um, you know, you and I have broken into venture capital and, and private equity in our own way. Um, and we just kind of found our path. Any advice that you'd give to people that are trying to transition from maybe a tech role or a business role and, um, and get into venture? What, what's the advice that you've given? Because you probably get 20 inbound messages or more like a day on if they can intern for you or, or if they, uh, or just how, you know, if, if you have any advice. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, um, it helps if you're coming from, you know, if you're at a school and there's a formal internship program, Yeah, I think cold, cold emails work, right. Offering to offering to help is just a great entry point to anything, right? Like I want to, I like what you're doing so much that I want to help you no matter what, you know, you want to pay because I want to learn yeah. uh, is I just think just a great way to open up a conversation. Um, yeah. so I certainly encourage that. Um, you know, there are more and more um, actual programs, um, not even just in within schools, but like um, nonprofits and such kind of structured programs for mm -hmm. getting new blood into VC, diverse um, blood um, in particular. Um, and, um, so there's, it's never been a better, and then there's just so many more VC funds now. Mm -hmm. Um, it's never been a better time to, um, to, to, um, want to be in VC because there's so much opportunity. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest growing field of that are these, uh, in, you know, these, uh, uh, rolling funds and, uh, uh, syndicate platforms, mm -hmm. right. They, they could more than use the help because they're stretched thin. So yeah. um, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, opportunity for the picking, um, to break into VC right now. Like um, I used to advocate, just start your own fund because that was the path that I took. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was like sending somebody off to war. Now I'm just like, find somebody who's already taken the battle shots and mm -hmm. see how you can help them bleed a little less and you'll you'll learn plenty and it'll, you know, you'll, you'll get to know if you really want to be in this or not. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, trying to figure out where they need help and, you know, maybe you create a notion you know, card that says, Hey, you know what, you're busy. Uh, you know, you're doing research and you're doing memos. Uh, why don't, you know, why don't I take a couple of these cards from you? Right. You can kind of probably really organize it in a good way where, and that's actually, I know a, a single family office in New York, um, they do venture and, um, that's exactly how they offload their tasks. They have specific cards and then they just like, that's something that the GP has to do. And then he just reassigns it to somebody else. So literally just, taking a few things off your plate um, could just be huge value. Then obviously the golden ticket obviously is, you know, helping with fundraising. So I think connections or LP pipelines and intros, I feel could also help. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, what else there is. So there's also, um, you know, just the mindset of, 
um, kind of think, you know, just doing the work as a VC. So, you know, maybe writing a blog and writing an investment thesis. I feel like there's a lot of res you know, resources out there. We post a lot of stuff just, you know, because for me, sometimes when I post stuff, it's just uh, like an archived note that I know to go back to and, and, and reference it. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, I think all the things that you said make sense. And, and look, there was a point where I was working in tech and I was like, man, I would probably just like work. I would probably quit and, and just do it for free. I mean, just to kind of really, that's how much I wanted to, to, to get into it, you know, at, at a certain time. So, um, definitely resonate with everything that you said. And it looks like we have one question here. So, uh, so Dina, I guess your question was, uh, you really favor the VC's future. Um, a lot of yeah. crowd. Yeah, because go I've ahead. Read some article before, and uh, um, someone will say, "Okay, now so many uh, startups uh, in this market, but uh, and also there are so many VC in this market." Um, mm -hmm. And uh, plus, we just uh, talk about the pipe and other platform. They provide other uh, crowdfunding or other funding. Uh, channels for those startups. So how how does uh, Stony think about uh, the VC's future? I just want to know. As you said, I I it sounds like you still think uh, the we have a lot of uh, potential in the in the space to go, and there are a lot of things we still can do. So I just want to hear your opinion. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. No. Thank you for the question. Um... I, yeah, I, I think it goes without saying that um, in addition to more and more VC platforms coming online, other options, like including our credit platform, like there are this pipe, there's all sorts of things coming, um, coming online as far as like new options, alternate options for founders to get funded. Crowdfunding, I think, is a great bridge yeah. to keep a team going while they get their the rest of their round together. I've seen that happen a number of times with our own founders and, 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 and others. Um, and so um, I, I think that all of this means that we ultimately end up with a healthier VC ecosystem where the competition is more, trans, more transparent. Um, and right now we're going through a period where it's creating not the best habits of like less diligence, higher prices, et cetera. But I think ultimately um, after some correction, um, the, the net outcome will be better behavior right? More accountability. Yeah. Um, I, I think VC is not going anywhere. Um, there may be one new, one or two new things that have staying power that arise um, out of this period. Um, um, but I, I do think that we're in a very interesting period for VC. It's a, it's a crucible moment. Um, uh, it's, well, right now it's, uh, it, it's, uh, 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 there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of craziness happening, but we'll soon come to a crucible moment. And out of that will be just a better version of um, early stage capital for, for founders that includes VC and other options where everyone is doing their best to serve founders and to source the best solutions and help them scale. Um, hopefully that answers your, uh, your question. Yes, very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I have another question because I start to uh, want to source some some more startups and uh, maybe I will talk to them. Uh, and the, what's your um, uh, resource to, to source or meet more startups or entrepreneurs? For me, I will have some uh, connection with the uh, EMBA or MBA alumni in the top tier schools. Uh, 
And then they has a lot of uh, clubs and entrepreneurs. I want to talk to them, but uh, uh, for them, a lot of products is not really a post uh, profit pro, uh, profitability. They are just uh, have some idea and they have, haven't even launched the product yet. So do you think that's a good channel for me to get started? Um, yeah, I mean, you can learn a lot at that stage even. Um, uh, you know, it really depends on where, what entry point you're looking for in, um, in startup, startup life. Um, I, I think, um, uh, Joel touched on, um, a key powerful thing to be able to do is to put content out, um, and to be somewhat, to build your competency as a, as an expert, um, in a, in a space. That's one of the number one ways to build your own in, inbound funnel. Um, and, but to your point, like if you already have a system going, um, if you, if you already have access, um, there's, yeah, it's harder the earlier you are to identify the earlier you're finding a company to identify promise and like what will actually work out, but mm -hmm. it's a coveted place to be. If you can actually identify the, the, the great things, cause you know, your, your, your access costs will be lower um, or who you sort ultimately source that deal to will have mm -hmm. a lower access cost. And um, there are another entry point into VC right now is the proliferation of scout programs and where they're mm -hmm. looking to do these early weird bets through intermediaries like yourself. Um, so mm -hmm. the risk personally for you is somewhat lower um, and the upside for them to identify things early um, is, is very high. Mm, thank you, very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, it was really good advice and um, super helpful tips. Um, and we got one minute left. So, you know, feel free to ping. Anybody else have any other questions? Yes. Uh, hi, Stonely. This sure. was um, a great, great um, talk. I loved your, um, you know, a little um, statement you made there. You know, with venture, you would say um, earlier, you know, go out and start your own army. But now it's, you know, join the army. I love um, that philosophy. What, what is your um, kind of advice when you're um, kind of looking to establish yourself in the venture field? And then the second part, you know, my background's a lot of energy and I have a lot of deal flow in that space. Um, and so I want to know what's your thesis around energy companies, because um, I, I see you've got quite a bit of portfolio on energy uh, companies already. What, what do you look for in such companies? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, the, 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 the phrase, the framing energy companies, has, as I mentioned before, has a lot of different definitions. So it depends on what kind of energy company, new energy source, battery or storage, um, energy usage reduction, you know, uh, utility solutions like the, the, the I, I would need to understand a little bit more like what they're building what customer they're targeting what problem they're solving for that customer um and uh and then from there like the the team itself what they bring to the table um uh, that is unique and that is uh has staying power um beyond the current solution even that they're working on right if they ultimately had to pivot does this team have the capacity to iterate um, and and go and you know go forward and still building something big in this uh, in this space? Um, that's that's a broadly more universal framing of how like um, how you know we 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 vet deals. So um, in terms of like 
stage? Are you typically only early stage or do you also go a little later? So one of the teams that I was talking to is like a latest stage. They're like a, a probably like a series B kind of stage. Most of the early companies I talk to are, you know, uh, pre-seed through a really, um, you know, seed kind of stage. W- what is your typical stage and what's the typical check size and timeline that you have? Um, yeah, that's uh, you. You sound like a founder that's pitching me, but uh, that's no, a, no. <laughs> that's a good questions to have. Um, but yeah, uh, we're typically pre-seed and seed. Um, we our entry check is generally between 100, 150 to, to 500k uh, to sort of establish the relationship. We want to invest up to a million before the Series A, um, and we'll you know help after series A where we can from an opportunistic perspective. Um, okay. But we really want to have as much impact as we can before series A. Our timeline, typically, I'd say four to six weeks, um, sometimes faster if, the, if the, we happen to meet the founder at the tail end of their process. But it's tougher for us because we do like to do our diligence and have a few interactions with the founder to know who we're right. about to sign up to, to work with. Right, right. And um, and typically, like, do you, what do you look for in the team? Is it more like an A team you're looking for? Or is it traction? What What is like, what are some of the factors you look for? Um, it is, it is mostly the team and, and what we're able to read from the team, from our interactions, from their background. Um, and then, but it's also in part and related to that, what have they actually done so far? Like, we don't need product market fit, but we need to see that they've talked to customers that they've built something to show to customers, even if it's a mock-up, even if it's a prototype, whatever, but that they're not just, you know, talking or betting on uh, uh, promise and, um, and ideas. Um, And obviously certain founders, you sort of know based on their background that even from the idea stage that they're a high executing founder, but you know, for, for founders without that track record, the more you can show that you've executed on this idea so far, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks a lot. Hey, Stonely, sorry we're a couple minutes over, but, you know, wanted to personally thank you for the new friendship and uh, taking some time out to uh, to share some storytelling with us. And, you know, excited to collaborate. Hope to see you in uh, New York at some point or, you know, if I, if I make it out there, you know, maybe we can get some, you know, do a, do a steak dinner and bottles with uh, Antonio. In San Francisco or where's <laughs> Stonely? Really? In San Francisco, right? Oh, I'm in San Francisco too. Oh, there you go. Dina, Dina, oh. Dina, Dina, Dina <laughs> will join us. Appreciate her speaking. Yeah, All right, thanks, Stanley. Take care. Yeah, take care. Bye.